You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 53. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars. I'm your host, Rachel Rambach, and this podcast is for women like me who are balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. This is the first episode of season two to feature a guest, and it's fitting that I'm welcoming back the very same guest that graced this podcast exactly 50 episodes ago. Amanda Clay told us all about her journey to music therapy and motherhood back in episode three, which I'll link to in the show notes, but this time we're tackling a pretty heavy topic, and that is postpartum depression. However, this episode is anything but depressing, and after our call, Amanda and I both wondered if it was a little weird that we actually had fun talking about this subject matter. We really just wanted to start this conversation because it's one that you don't hear on a regular basis, even though it's a very real matter for so many of us. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right, so I am so excited to have one of my guests from season one back on the podcast for season two, and that guest is Amanda Clay. So Amanda, welcome back to Guitars and Granola Bars. Woohoo! I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Me too. When we recorded the first time, um, I said that after we talked, it felt like you were my music therapy BFF. I mean, we had never met in person. We'd never talked no. previously, but we just kind of hit it off and um, had a really great chat. So for those of you that didn't listen to Amanda's episode in season one, you can go back and listen to that. That was episode three. So go check that out. And I feel like we really just kind of scratched the surface. We talked a lot about your journey to become a music therapist. We talked Mm -hmm. about your journey to becoming a mom the first time. Mm -hmm. But I feel like season two is really all about the nitty gritty and the not so pretty stuff when it comes to motherhood and being a working mom and so I really want to get into all that good stuff. So um, we won't yeah. spend a whole lot of time going over kind of like an introduction for you. So maybe in a nutshell, you could kind of just introduce yourself a little bit um, for those who aren't familiar with you. Sure. So um, I do have to say that uh, once I recorded last year's podcast, I was geeked out so much. I was like, I got to talk to Rachel Rambach for so long. (laughs) And all of my past interns who know that I like very much admire your work and use your, um, a lot of like your music and things like that. I was like, you guys aren't going to believe who I talked to. And all of them are like, were you just so fangirly? And I'm like, this is probably so weird. She's, she's a normal person. She's a music therapist, but I, it was the highlight of the year for sure. Um, you're so funny and you were not fangirly at all. Just, just FYI. (laughs) Oh, good. Thank goodness. Um, so, um, to introduce myself, I'm Amanda Clay and I'm a board certified music therapist. Um, I, um, live in the Chicagoland area. Um, and I am a mother of two. It, during our last podcast, I was a mother of just one. Mm-hmm. And now I have, um, an almost six year old and, um, an almost five month old. Awesome. So let's kind of rewind to, um, the point where, you were a mom of one and mm-hmm. um kind of what what were your thoughts and what were you what was going through your head when you found out that you were going to be a mom of two I kind of want to go back 
through that whole journey because I know that for me that was like a real turning point in my life and a really scary um, thing to jump into. Um, So kind of talk us through that and what that looked like for you. Sure. So interestingly, um, I remember during our conversation last February that I was sitting there with this twinkle in my eye as we talked about my first journey to motherhood because I knew that we were actively trying to have a second. So I knew that at the time and it wasn't something that I was necessarily going to talk about. But I did know, like, this is exciting because I want to be doing this all again. Like, it was fun to relive that and get excited about all of the things that um, motherhood is and getting to do all of that baby stuff again, Um, which was, I think that that is a very important thing to say because I vividly remember during that conversation feeling excited about the baby stuff. And I have to be honest, I did not feel excited about the baby stuff for many, many, many years after my son, which is why the two are pretty far apart. I, I have always been a little bit, not a baby person. Um, they, I, I was, was that person that was like, Ooh, if I touch it, will it break? And those kind of (laughs) things. And so even with my own son, the first diapers I ever changed was with him. And the first, um, you know, everything that came with babies, I, I hadn't even babysat a baby. So I, I learned everything kind of on the fly with my own child. Um, and so, Um, because of that, you know, you have like this kind of like stressed out emotional experience as you're going through it. So, um, you know, I definitely was like, well, I definitely want to put a pause on baby number two. And so to sit there and think, oh, I'm so excited for that moment to happen, um, was, um, huge. That's a bit, that was a big thing. And that made me know I was really ready for us to have a second child. Um, and, um, when I found out I was pregnant, we were absolutely overjoyed. It took longer than it did with our first. Um, and I think that's kind of a common story. Um, and so when we found out it was the most joyous occasion, it was, um, there was, there was no hesitation on my part that we were going to become a family of four. Did anything change with you like mentally and emotionally going into that second pregnancy or things that you did differently to prepare as opposed to with your first? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I think I, I really knew like what the important things were going to be. Um, I knew that, um, the whole time we were saying goodbye to this, five-year period where our first son was, you know, the center of our world and of our universe. Um, And um, I think that we did a lot of things knowing like, oh, this will be our last time doing this as a family of three and like knowing it's going to be different next year. Um, And um, yeah, I think emotionally I was just um, stealing myself for what I knew would be the challenge of having two children, knowing that a baby is, can be very, very draining, um, um, exhaustion wise and just attention wise. Babies just require so much more than a five-year-old does. Um, I was at a point with my son where he was basically independent. So it was like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to do everything for this baby. So really, really, um, I think that one of the things that I did was I was really careful about like resting up and knowing that like that is the last time that I'm going to have the opportunity to sleep in on a Saturday morning for a while because 
our five-year-old was more than willing to do that, but I know that babies aren't willing to do that and that kind of stuff. So I think that there was this mental preparation that I was, I knew exactly what I was getting myself into this time around. And I think that that was, you know, that was different. Yeah. And it's bittersweet, right? Like I know. Oh my gosh. Parker was only, he wasn't even two when Mia was born, but like I still felt like I had had this, you know, my son for two whole years all to himself. Like he had me all to himself. And I really kind of like went through a mourning period of, um, for his sake, like, oh my gosh, his life is going to be turned upside down and this is all he's ever known. And that was really hard for me to get through. Even after Mia was born, like I always just, my heart kind of ached for him as happy as I was that he had a baby sister. At the same time, I was like, oh, you know, this kid like had his parents all to himself. And now it's just completely different. I'm interested to know if that ever ended for you because I'm still feeling that. Like I'm definitely still. Yes. Yes. Okay. It never, it never really goes away. I mean, he's only been here for, uh, for 13 months, but still like, yes, there are times when I just like, I wish that I had more one-on-one time with Parker and it just, it doesn't happen. It doesn't. But I know as, as she's grown older, it's been a little bit easier just because I'm not always constantly holding her or nursing her, you know, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it definitely, it gets a little easier on that front. Absolutely. I I was at their swim lessons last night and I think that like if someone could have like watched me, they could have taken a picture and been like hashtag motherhood because I was literally running between two pools so they could watch both of their private swim lessons. There, yes. (laughs) I then like they, there is no universe where they can take a swim lesson in the same place. So like I'm running back and forth between the two and I was like, well, this is my life now. Like this is what I'm going to be doing forever is just whether it be in my mind or in my own home or at a swim lesson, I'm running back and forth between the two now. That's right. And I struggle with like that whole guilt thing when I'm with Mm -hmm. one, I'm guilty that I'm not with the other. And like, and you know, it's just, it's never ending. And I know that there's nothing I can do about it. And that's just, you know, you have to strike some kind of balance and do what you can do with only two hands and one body. But yeah, it's hard. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Yes. The struggle is real for sure. It is real. Yes. (laughs) So what about um, work? How did you kind of prepare for the birth of your second son? Yeah. So my situation was not as cushy this time. Um, So I am, um, I work for um, a smaller nonprofit um, therapeutic day school for children with autism. And um, because of that, and because of the fact that we are a female laden workspace, they cannot offer a paid maternity leave. Um, it's just not in the budget. It's not in our mission. Um, even though we're very, very family oriented, they cannot offer paid maternity leave. And if anyone who has listened to the podcast know that that was very different. I had a very paid maternity leave. I could take as much time as I wanted. Um, and while, um, my employer obviously follows all of the FMLA guidelines and things like that, they can't offer me compensation for that time. Um, so this time around, um, I did take out, um, like a small short-term disability, um, insurance policy, um, knowing that someday we would want to, um, have another child and that I would be without a paycheck. Um, and so just from a, um, um, 
logistics standpoint, I, you know, obviously planned our finances in that way, knowing that like, okay, this is how we're going to make it through that period. Um, but it did also change how much time I could take. Last time I did take um, eight weeks, but I could have taken more. Um, this time it was like, there is no way that I can take more than eight weeks because that is how long this insurance policy will be able to carry us. Um, and so again, logistically thinking through that, um, the one giant thing that's super different and um, it does make me think like this is where I have to backtrack just a little bit is that I am no longer practicing music therapy for um, the autism school. I'm actually um, now in an administrative role there and I'm overseeing a clinical team. And so um, that was a big shift because wherein when I was a music therapist, I found someone to cover my groups and that was no big deal. And it was, you know, they had a plan and it was pretty easy because I served pretty much one function at my last employer when I was pregnant with my first son. However, now I serve a lot of functions to a lot of different people. Um, and I'm an actual supervisor. I have direct reports and I have, um, a lot of responsibilities that I had to, um, uh, make sure that we're taken care of during my absence um, and a whole team of people um, depending on me for those things. So um, that was quite a bit different. Um, there was also a lot of, um, you know, when I left the hospital that I worked at when I was pregnant with my first son, work couldn't come with me. That's a HIPAA violation. <laughs> work doesn't come with you. It's very easy in that way. Um, whereas here I'm working from home constantly and I'm constantly connected and having to really decide those boundaries for myself that like, this is my maternity leave and I cannot be answering emails even, even though I want to, even though I want to be part of the conversation because I love my job and I love it. I'm so passionate about it. This is a time for me to bond with my child and for me to really focus on my family. And so having a lot of um, discussions with my own supervisor about this is how you've got to set up these boundaries for yourself. It's going to be tempting to check e check email. It's going to be tempting to, you know, want to call into meetings and things like that. And don't do it. Enjoy this time. Um, and fortunately, because they are very family oriented, that was fully accepted. So a lot of the preparation was um, something that I'd never been through before, uh, preparing people for my absence, basically. Did you feel like you had a different mindset going into the second birth with all of that responsibility on your shoulders and you know even despite having that agreement with your employer you still kind of feel the weight of um what's going on at work and what you're missing and mm. the things that are still happening while you're not there absolutely and um because um my supervisor is incredible and she's very process oriented she did also didn't want me to be completely out of the loop when like big decisions were happening and there were a lot of those things happening during my absence we just happened to be in a season of change during my maternity leave and so she was very careful about it you know making sure like is this something you want to be a part of and that sort of thing but um yeah like I there there were things that I couldn't be away from because for me to come back and not know about these shifts that we were making um, and some of our programming and things like that, um, not knowing about those, I just can't imagine how I could have ever caught up at all, honestly. Right. So yeah, it was um, there. It, I think I thought about it differently a lot that I was like, you guys will be fine without me with my first, um, my first situation. And then with this, I was like, mm, they really need my input. They need my support. Um, my team needs to know that this is going to be okay and um, or that like this is my thoughts on it and that sort of thing. Right. I'm yeah. curious if your experience was anything like mine mm -hmm. where going into my second, the birth of my second child, 
I kind of had this mentality like, oh, I've been I've been through this before. Like life is not going to completely come to a halt because I it can't, you know, with a mm-hmm. with another young child. Like mm-hmm. life kind of has to keep going. And during that, I was my business was going through all of these huge crazy yes. changes, which I talked about a lot in episode one of this second season. Um, I really had to be at work if not you know present physically I had to be on my computer almost nonstop. Yes. and yes. part of me was like oh well that's fine like this is no big deal yeah I had a baby but you know I'm just gonna keep on going and yeah. that that took a huge toll on me which I think we'll get into um yes in a few minutes here but I'm wondering if you kind of had that same mindset with with it being your second child yeah I actually remember um and it'll be a good transition because I definitely didn't get to it. But I, um, right before I went on my maternity leave, I had my mid-year evaluation where we kind of process, you know, um, some of our professional development goals and that sort of thing. And one of my professional development goals, given that it was my first year actually being a manager of, of employees, I, um, really wanted to research some, um, kind of, um, we do, um, clinical supervision. And so I wanted to, um, look at some supervision models and things like that. And I got some great, um, advice for some books to read on that. And I was like, great, I'm going to download all of these to my Kindle and I'm going to read them while I'm on maternity leave. And (laughs) I think that like, it's, it's such a funny thing. Cause I, I agree. Like I was like, the world doesn't stop because I'm on maternity leave. Like I'm going to get things done. And I remember everybody kind of side-eyeing me and being like, really, you're going to, you're going to read clinical manuals on how to supervise staff. Okay. And, uh-huh. But um, what's funny is I, I definitely never got to them. I never, I never read them. I, I de- definitely did not have the brain space for that. I was not ready um, to work and things like that. But I will say that it, that mind shift was there, that like there were all these ideas with where I was in my career of things that I could continue to work on. The, the, the putting work aside thing never really entered my mind this time around. Like there was going to still be work. It just was work at home instead. Right. Exactly. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. So let's talk about kind of like your, um, your mental and emotional place that you were in after your first child was born, um, related to, or I guess compared to after your second son was born, did you feel like Mm -hmm. there was a difference there or was it kind of a similar, um, experience? Yeah. So this is, yes, this is such an important thing. So I want to say out loud, like they were very similar, but I did not know that what I experienced the first time was not normal. Does that make sense? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. (laughs) So I, um, I come from a family, um, of women who are strong and wonderful women, um, who are, who love motherhood, who love being mothers. I do come from a long history on both sides of my family of women who suffer from maternal mental illnesses. And the thing is, is that, I believe throughout the generations, the words used to describe what they went through are kind of euphemistic. And so you don't really know what's going on. Like they might say like, oh, you know, she just wasn't right after she had the baby or she had a nervous breakdown and things like that, that don't really mean much. That doesn't really mean very much to, um, you know, someone who's about to have a baby, like, okay, I I don't know exactly what that means, especially someone who has clinical background. You go, "I, I don't even know what how you would clinically classify a nervous breakdown. I'm not sure where that falls in the DSM. So, um, 
what, um, what I experienced with my first son was feelings of extreme overwhelmed, like just feeling overwhelmed all the time by every thought, by everything that I did, by every task, every diaper I had to change. It was overwhelming. Everything was an effort. And people would talk about how joyful this time with my baby is. And I remember people always say this and they say, say it all the time. And I'm I'm sure I've said it to, to new moms, but I say, they say like, Oh, enjoy this time. It goes so fast. And I remember thinking, I don't know how anyone could possibly be enjoying this time. I'm so, I'm so anxious. I'm so nervous. I'm so sad. I'm, I'm so emotional. And, um, I thought, well, maybe, you know, people just feel this way and they don't talk about it. Um, and I, I came to find out through lots of research kind of after I was kind of through that storm with my first child that it's really not a normal feeling. Um, sure. People feel, um, what they call the baby blues and feel a little, you know, it's a big shift. You should be hormonal. It is a big life change. There should be emotional process that goes along with it, but you shouldn't feel as stuck as I was feeling. And, um, so later on I kind of found out, oh, I probably was, um, depressed and that was probably postpartum depression. And it was just something that I had no idea until really talking to other moms that I was like, oh, you didn't feel that way. Huh? So that's actually something that, um, I should, pay attention to. It is the reason why we decided to wait with number, with number two. Um, there were lots of logistical and financial considerations, the big move to Chicago, that was a big deal. But I do think that, um, you know, I also wanted to make sure that I was emotionally ready and that I had the ability to enjoy this child. Um, I, I vividly remember, um, coming through that storm in the, with the first kid and, um, you know, being like, okay, I made it through that and I'm happy now and I'm really excited to be a mother. And I mean, if you listen to me on the last podcast, like clearly I enjoy motherhood above like almost all things. Um, it took me a while to get there though, to be completely honest. And so in preparing for the second child, it was a conversation that I started super early, um, in saying, I know that I have this propensity to this. It's in my family. It's in my genes. It's, it's something that I've experienced before. And I don't think that it's, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it out this time without maybe fighting that same battle. And I did end up being very right about that. Um, when I was in the hospital with my son, my OB sat down on the bed with me and was just, she's a very nice person. We just had a great talk. And she said, what, how are you feeling emotionally? And I burst into tears. Um, so I just knew I, I was like, okay, so this might be happening again. Um, and I said, I don't know. I think I feel fine, but I'm just so afraid to get to back to where I was and not be able to enjoy this. Cause I know, um, my husband and I are, are happy to just have a family of four. We don't want any more kids. I know that this is the last one. And I want to enjoy it this time. I want, I don't want to be robbed of that experience. Like I was last time. Cause I do, I feel like I was robbed of, um, some really, really cool stages, um, that people, people do have the ability to enjoy. I just didn't. Um, so she said, okay. And she gave me, um, a referral and within, um, the week I had an appointment with someone, um, to talk about, um, how I was feeling and, and honestly to get on medication and, um, to, you know, be able to move on from, um, just feeling sad about, about motherhood, which is not that, not who I am at my core. I mean, there, there is no doubt about it. That is not who I am at my core. No. And anybody that has talked to you for any length of time, obviously <laughs> gets that. Um, yes, yes. The thing is, you know, I think that story is way, way, way too common. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's true for me too. Um, I had very similar experiences after Parker was born of just like yeah 
everything was just this huge mountain to climb and I never felt like it just like came really easily and it was just really really hard I think part of it was that I really distanced myself from work or from anything work related at that time and so I really felt like you know a big part of part of me and my personality was missing and I really didn't know who I was as a mom and Mm -hmm. anybody that becomes a mom like you know that that's a life-changing shift in um, every aspect of your being Um, but at the same time like yes to an extent those feelings are normal but the anxiety and the the nervousness Mm -hmm. that you were talking Mm -hmm. about that Mm -hmm. shouldn't necessarily be such a big part of your everyday experience And, you know, coming out of of those feelings, I had no idea until I did talk with my OB. And this wasn't until I was uh, a few months pregnant with Mia. And and I kind of described what I had gone through. And she said, well, I think this is what you, you know, have been dealing with. And and this can last up to two years. Like postpartum anxiety and depression can last up to two years after you've had a baby. And I had no idea, no idea whatsoever. And the more I've talked with other moms that have experienced this, it's kind of the same thing because it's Mm -hmm. just not a conversation that we have from in daily life. You know, we all, we all want to portray motherhood and our experiences as, as this like beautiful Facebook worthy, Instagram worthy, you know, (laughs) life, which I'm just as guilty Guilty. as. Yeah. We all are, but you know, at the same time, we don't want to air our dirty laundry, but I think that having these honest conversations can be so helpful because there are probably people listening right now that have gone through this or that may go through this and, you know, they need to hear the, the reality of it. Yes. I feel like I'm very, very guilty of, um, kind of having like a perfection complex, um, where, um, I, I don't expect that other people want me to be perfect, but I absolutely put that on myself that like things must be perfect in my life or there be this, um, idea of perfectionism in my life. Um, and, um, that, you know, when people look at me, they're like, gosh, she's a really good mom. Like, and you can't, the things that make you, I have to remind myself that things that make you a good mother are not on your Pinterest board and are not in your Instagram. And I have to remind myself of that all the time, especially when I'm, you know, looking, maybe looking at other people's posts and things that they're doing and, um, or, you know, just even watching a mom at the playground and being like, gosh, she can manage all of that. And I'm like a nervous mess right now. Um, but I, you know, I do think that, um, I had to kind of lay down some of that perfectionism was what was going to keep me, um, happy and sane was being like, just allow myself to be a hot mess sometimes, yes. quite frankly. Um, cause that was really what was driving me, driving me insane was, you know, just trying to hold on to these things that are not going to, not going to happen. I mean, I'm not, you're just not going to do it all. You're, you're, you can't, and no one is going to be happy if that's what you're trying to do, including right. your children. So right. yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it's, I remember, um, Parker was probably about eight months old or so, and my mom ran into an acquaintance of mine who I really only, you know, saw on Facebook, and this Mm -hmm. acquaintance was getting ready to have a baby, and she said to my mom, she's like, oh, Rachel is like my motherhood idol. Like, she seems like the perfect mom and Mm. just like, oh my gosh, I want to be just like her when I have my baby, and when my mom told me that, 
I just wanted to burst out laughing because, mm-hmm. you know, if only she could see like the day-to-day hot mess <laughs> that I usually am. I know, I know. And then, you know, I'm I'm at home sometimes like in the trenches of craziness and I'm like, oh gosh, if she could see me right now, she would take, yes. a, take back that statement in a heartbeat because I yes. am not a good mom right now. Right. And, and the problem was, is that after five, you know, after five years and really making it through my first bout with this and, and things like that, I started to forget a little bit that like, oh, perfectionism is actually not healthy for you, Amanda. And I started to bask in some of those compliments again. And the thing is, is like, it's, they're very well intended. And I mean, like, I'm not telling people to stop telling me what a great mom I am, but at the same time, like that is not my reality. And when I try to live up to that reality, it, that is what is driving my entire family up the wall. So I have to be really, really careful about that, that like, I want to bask in those lovely comments that people make about me where, um, you know, where they say like, you seem like the perfect mom, but at the same time, I'm not, and I shouldn't be, and no one is. Right. But then, you know, where do you draw the line? Do you stop (laughs) posting the the beautiful, wonderful pictures Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. just, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't, that's my struggle too. Like, and I'll even tell you that when you told me that you were, you had gone through some struggles after your second baby was born, I was thinking to myself, really? Oh my gosh. Because from Facebook, like it looks like everything has been just like this beautiful like breeze of, yeah, wonderfulness. And yeah, you, you just don't get the full picture. You only get that slice. And this is the perfect example because People are always saying, like, don't compare your worst day to people's, like, best day on exactly. Instagram. But yeah. it's, it's the truth because you do only yeah. see those little tiny slices. The snippets. Yeah. Exactly. And honestly, this it's so interesting that you bring that up because social media is such an interesting part of um, my um, um, – my ability to cope with, um, postpartum depression and maternity leave. So the, one of the compounding factors for me is that I am a natural born extrovert and I get so much energy from being around people, but in maternity leave, you're around no one. (laughs) You're around an infant who can't talk to you and really wants nothing more than like breast milk and a diaper. (laughs) You know, like they want (laughs) nothing from you. They're giving you very little, um, and so, um, even though our Holden, our second is a very easy baby, it was like, well, now you're going to sleep. Okay. What am I going to do? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so, um, social media, like when I had my first son, this is how long ago it was. I didn't even have an iPhone. Um, and I think I, I had a Blackberry, but like the Facebook app wasn't great. So I only logged on to social media, like from an actual computer. And so I didn't do it that much on my first maternity leave. So it was like an isolating time. Well, you can break down some of the isolation by being on social media because there are people there that you can message and there are people, there are pictures that you can share. And so I started, um, I remember one day, like I just had like a funny reaction and I decided to like post, um, a gif and it got so many likes on it that I was like, Oh, people are paying attention. There's, there's a way to communicate with people on this. So I started doing a daily gif of like what, um, like what my reaction for today is, you know, or whatever. And that was a big coping strategy for me. And so people, um, might look at like, Oh my gosh, she's so funny. But like, in truth, that was me trying to cope with being horrifically depressed. And so that's the thing is like, I will, I'll be completely honest with that. Anyone who's told me that they like my, you know, that they like my, my gift post. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a coping mechanism. But 
if you, all you see is the is the funny posts, you know, like of me, you know, saying bye Felicia or whatever, that's all you you all you think is that I'm just like this funny crack up that like likes attention on social media. Right. So exactly. it it like it I think that that is such an important statement that you're making that um, it is not what it appears to be. Nothing is. No, it's not. Yeah. And you know, yeah. that doesn't stop us from wanting to share. And you know, even like absolutely when you do post something, you get that little dopamine hit every time you get like a positive comment <laughs> I or know, a like, I know. You know, it kind I of know. So true. yeah, but it, yeah. it makes yeah. sense that that would be a coping mechanism and definitely it is an isolating time and um yes. especially like when you're a mom, a new mom of two, um for me having two kids at home I think was even more isolating than just having the one after Parker was born. yeah interesting yeah it was because um like you said like you're the only adult and I do I had a two-year-old with me and he was always wanting to talk and always wanting to you know have conversations Mm -hmm. but you didn't have anybody to turn to and like say oh my gosh like you know, this, this is craziness. Like you didn't have that kind of partner in crime. Like, can you, can you entertain that other one for a second? Thanks. Yeah. 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 Like my husband was at work and it was just me with this newborn baby and my hilarious and wonderful two-year-old who I love to death, but at times it was just a little much. And I just, you know, you have those days where you just feel like you're drowning because you can't put the baby down and the baby won't take a nap and the two-year-old won't take a nap. And it is, it's rough. And I'm curious also about about this um because going into having my second child I had that kind of fear that little cloud over me like okay is this gonna happen again like is am mm-hmm. I gonna go through this and I feel mm-hmm. like the fear of it made me overcompensate so much to like the point where it was worse than it would have been otherwise like I went so far in the other direction that it it just kind of like threw things out of whack even more. Like um, what I was talking about a few episodes back of throwing myself into all of my work and like trying to keep up with this pace that I had been at before the baby was born. Um, mm. Did you feel like like your fear of, of what could happen again kind of um, negatively affected how things went the second time? Yes. I think the where I saw it the most was in my work um, because I very much serve this very clear role on my team at work. And um, several times, you know, I was hearing like, oh, we miss your energy and your light and like all this stuff. And I kept thinking, I'm never going to be able to be that person for them again. And I, and I had that fear before I left too, that like, I'm going to come back and be totally different and no one's going to want me to be um, this role for them anymore. No one's going to, you know, uh, look at me in the same way. And, um, I, I had so much fear about really changing who I was as a professional more than, um, almost more than who I was as a mother. Cause I was like, well, this is kind of the mom they got. And they know, you know, like we already knew that, like we knew that this is going to be, um, probably hard. I mean, my husband, um, I, I can never, ever, ever thank him enough because he, he took me to every appointment that I had in the beginning because I really, really wanted to fight against it and deny it and sweep it under the rug. And he was like, no, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think you're right about that. Like, I, I do think that this is happening again. And he really wanted to give me the courage to say like, yes, I'm struggling. And, um, I think part of the reason why I was fighting against it so hard was I was like, I have to still be the person that I was before I left work when I get back to work. And so if I fight against it, like, 
obviously it'll be fine. But in truth, I mean, that's never going to work out. I needed to get the help that I needed. And, you know, that would, then I would be able to return. And so, yes, I absolutely think that I, the fear of it, um, you know, affecting who I was going to be after made me fight so hard against it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I had that same experience and, and it was compounded, I think, by what was happening with my work at the time and Mm, just the momentum and the pace that it was at. And, you know, suddenly I had all of these people, I had all of these new team members and I Mm -hmm. had this, you know, new studio and it was like, okay, I, you know, they know me as this person and they know my, um, you know, the things I do and the speed that I work at and the things, the productivity that I have. And Mm -hmm. I don't want, I don't want that to change and I don't want their perception of me to change. And it was, you know, again, going back to that perception rather than, you know, doing what is best for me and making the adjustments that I needed to in order to like be sane. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, in, in so many ways you were almost having like twins, you were having like the business baby and the, and the Mia baby at the same time, yes. you know, and like, oh gosh, wh- yes. while you're like creating a nursery, you're also like creating a, you know, a, a space for you to have your business and stuff like, like that's, I mean, the amount of pressure coming down would, um, affect anyone, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And, yes. you know, looking back and I've thought back a million times, like, okay, what could I have done differently? What could I have taken off my plate? What could I have, you know, made better for my family? And it's really hard to like Mm -hmm. pinpoint those things because all of those things were so important. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I won't downplay the importance that my work plays in my life. It's a huge part of what I do. My business is really, really important to me. And um, I think that we as like creative professionals and people that work in helping fields, we kind of just have that intrinsically. And that's, you know, Mm -hmm. what led us to these types of careers And so it's really hard to separate, um, my work from my personal life. It it just is. Yeah. 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 So having gone through what you, what you went through, like, are there Mm -hmm. any other things that you did? I know you mentioned the, um, the social media outlet (laughs) as as a coping mechanism, which I think is awesome. I think (laughs) you got to do what, what works and what helps. Right. Right. Whatever gets you through the day. Yeah. When you're at that point, it's like the little things can make all the difference. Totally. Um, But what other things did you do that you could, you know, tell other moms who might be struggling with these same um, challenges? What would, what advice would you give? I think I just like, I talked about it and I didn't stop talking about it. Honestly, it was the first time there was so much shame around it for me that this time I was not going to let that happen. Like I was just going to be an open book about it. And when people asked me how I was doing, I was going to tell them the truth because that was when the support happened. Um, And I, I needed support. I, I, tend to be the kind of person who, um, wants people to read my mind. And I know that no one can do that. Um, <laughs> least of all my husband. So I needed mm-hmm. to tell him exactly what I needed. Um, and that, you know, doing that kind of stuff was super duper helpful. Um, but I, you know, I think I also knew what my limit was going to be as far as maternity leave went. And I knew that it was a struggle for me for eight weeks to feel isolated. So, I knew that despite the fact that like there was really no option financially for us to go any more than eight weeks, that eight weeks really was going to be my limit for, um, um, for my maternity leave this time around as well. And I think 
I, I mean, I completely remember the moment that, um, I was going to meet with colleagues the day before I was going back to work. Um, because we, I presented at, um, the Great Lakes Regional Conference in April and we got together to just like hash out some of our things right before I went back to work. And I was driving to my friend's house to work on that. And I felt it lift. Like I, I, it felt like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders and I realized this is a really big deal. Me getting back to work that me being able to come back to what I can reclaim as part of myself is so important. Um, everyone knows that I'm so passionate about my job and that like, I just love what I do. And my career is such an important part of who I am that I think like it just, when I'm missing that part of me, I am missing like a whole big gaping hole part of me. And so I think that what I would say, my advice to moms who are going through this is not necessarily like go back to work and you'll feel better. Cause I don't know that that's true for everybody. I mean, it might not be. Um, but I would definitely say that like, find what it is that makes you, you and reclaim it as soon as you possibly can. Yeah, um, and I, so, you know, I realized that first time that that won't be work and it can't be work, but it might be something, you know, um, going to the grocery store by yourself or, you know, something that just reclaim the part of you that makes you feel like you again. Um, and hopefully that will start to turn something on its head because it did for me. It absolutely did. I think that's so important. I actually had a, a moment like that as I was driving to um, I was going back to do one group through the summer and it was about five weeks after Mia was born mm. and everybody was like, really, you want to go back and, and lead a group of little kids right after you, you know, five weeks after you had a baby. And I was like, yes, I need to get out of yes, the house. Yes, I do. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. And, mm-hmm. um, I had that similar, like I was driving down the street. It was a sunny day. I had no children in the car. Like, <laughs> Were you in the car with me, Rachel? This is exactly what I was like. <laughs> Yes, we must have been kindred spirits in that that event. But um, yeah, it was just like this amazing feeling. Um, But I do want to piggyback on what you said with Mm -hmm. um, like I did have that feeling. And then I thought to myself, oh, well, I'm going to be fine. Like, it's all good. I'm just going to go back to, you know, life in general and life as it was. Um, And then I kind of like buried those feelings. And I I may not have completely – gotten to the point where Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I was 100% back to normal, Mm -hmm. but I told myself that I was without really Mm -hmm. dealing with them. And they came back to bite me like six months later because Mm -hmm. I had just this whole like resurfacing in in December, which was like six months after Mia was born. And I know that I can attribute that to to bearing those feelings and to thinking, oh, well, I'm good. I'm good now. Yes. You know? Yes. So it's it's one of those things to keep in mind that it's not just right after the baby's born. It's something no. that can – it can linger and it can get worse and worse if you don't deal yes. with it. Yes. So I think that's something I know – I thought, you know, oh, all of that postpartum stuff, that's only like in the first couple months. Like then it's yes. – then you're good. But no. that's so not the truth. So true. And I, I would definitely, I echo that it ebbs and flows. I have, I continue to have good days and bad days. Um, and I think that, um, my ability, I, I do think that my personal, um, ability to cope with it is stronger because I kind of have started to identify what some of those like triggering kind of things might be, you know, if it's too much work or not enough sleep or, um, 
uh, you know, um, again, isolation, you know, if we're not like getting out and doing things, um, or if one of the kids is sick, like all those sort of stressor things that would complicate anyone's life, um, maybe complicate this just a little further. Um, so for sure, I agree. There is, there is an ebb and a flow to it. There are seasons. Um, and, um, I'm, I'm riding each wave as it comes. That's right. And that's, you know, all you can do is get the help yes. that, that you need and, you know, ask for support, like have those friends, have those colleagues that you can talk to and say, hey, this is like a not so good day. And no I'm kidding. just having like a not so good time right now. And absolutely, I need to talk it out. You, you got to right. have those people. And sometimes it's good to have, you know, people outside of just your family or just your husband or, yes. you know, just the people that have been through it and that can say, hey, this is mm-hmm. something that I've done that helps. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know what you're going through. Sometimes that's all it takes is just having that person that can empathize. Yes. I've been putting on a brave face to um, two of my very close girlfriends who know me inside and out, know me very, very well. And we, we talk or, you know, text like several times a week and they were over at my house and, um, I have, of course, this, you know, persona of everything's fine and, um, something happened and I burst into tears and they were like, why don't you tell us that this stuff is going on? We are the people who you can tell about this. And so, um, I have made like a commitment to them that, you know, from now on, I'm going to be more honest about like where I'm actually at because, you know, catching them off guard like that truly isn't fair because they would love to be there for me as friends. And I think, you know, recognizing that in yourself that like, there are people out there that care a lot about how, how you're doing and, and that you're well. And when you identify those people, you should be honest with them about how you're doing. Cause they want to help you. If, if those two friends were going through a hard time and they didn't tell me, I would be devastated because I wouldn't have wanted them to walk it alone. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's those people that are the closest to us that we feel like we have to put on that brave face for. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you know, no, like break down that wall. Cause that's not helping anybody. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, Amanda, this has been such a great conversation and thank you for being so open and honest and discussing this because I think it is a really important conversation to have out there publicly for other people to hear. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, um, there's lots of things to find, you know, joy in, in motherhood. And I, I, you know, I, I've listened to my conversation with you last February, again, to remind myself that like that, that stuff exists and things like that. But at the same time, I think that if we're very real about, um, some of the, you know, some of the not so beautiful and shiny parts of motherhood, it's just going to make it a lot easier for people to really, um, support each other and lift each other up when, um, those things happen. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being thank back on you. the podcast. It is always a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Guitars and Granola Bars podcast. And again, thank you to Amanda for being willing to share your experiences so candidly. You can continue the conversation in the comments of the show notes page over at guitarsandgranolabars.com or email me, Rachel at listenlearnmusic.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rachel Rambach. And last but not least, please consider rating and reviewing the show on iTunes if you liked what you heard. The Guitars and Granola Bars podcast is brought to you by Listen and Learn Plus, a premium site for music therapists, music educators, parents, and anyone else who wants to give their clients, students, and children a rich musical experience. 
gain instant access to a vast collection of over 200 songs, videos, tutorials, and resources from Listen and Learn Music. Learn more by visiting listenlearnmusic.com slash join.